Fellow Historians. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and welcome to another episode of Women of Her Story, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women who have made or are making their mark on our society. Here with me is your favorite co-host, Detective Schweppes. What's your favorite dinosaur, Detective? I'm going to have to go with the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Mm. Great question. I never get that enough. Yeah, I'm partial to the Triceratops. Oh. Yeah. I don't know if you knew that about me. No, I actually wasn't going to ask, but that (laughs) is, that's, that's good to know. Now we're all informed. So that's great. How are you doing, though? I'm doing really well, and somehow it is the end of November, and the holidays are fast approaching. So everyone should go and get everyone on your list some Her Story merch. Otherwise, try to shop local and shop small. I love Amazon as much as the next armchair referee, but let's all really try to make sure we are supporting the entrepreneurs in our midst support and amplify women this holiday season and every season (laughs) yes psa from women of her story (laughs) to close out our mini series on trailblazing native american women we are going to be talking about one of the most iconic ballerinas of all time maria tall chief are you ready i'm excited let's do it let's do it Elizabeth Maria Tallchief was born on January 24, 1925, in Fairfax, Oklahoma, on the Osage Indian Reservation. To her friends and family, she was better known as Betty Marie, which might be one of the most wholesome names that ever existed, aside from my grandmother, whose name is Nellie Sue. I guess because Elizabeth, and then they'd call her like, hey, Betty, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She had a younger sister, Marjorie, who was born just a year later in 1926. They had an older brother, Gerald Richard, who was born in Beverly Hills in 1922. Maria and Marjorie were the daughters of Osage tribe member Alexander Joseph Tallchief, a real estate executive, and their mother, Ruth Mary Porter, was of Scottish-Irish descent, which that's the second... Um, Scottish-Irish mother wasn't, um, oh shoot, uh, Wilma Mankillers. Mm, yeah. Yeah, also Scottish-Irish. Maria said this about her mother. Mother was born in Oxford, Kansas, a determined woman of Scots-Irish blood. She was beautiful with light brown hair, gray eyes, and delicate features. My tall and lanky father and my tiny mother made an odd couple physically, but they were very much in love. Opposites attract. Yeah. <laughs> M squared, a.k.a. Maria and Marjorie, had incredible and strong women in their family that influenced their lives. Their grandmother, Eliza Bigheart, would share with them the incredible legacy that their family held on the Osage Reservation. She told them of her father, Chief Bigheart, and how he played a significant role in having the U.S. government give them head rights for their land and resources. What are head rights, you ask? I have the answer. I was thinking that. Thank you. (laughs) Head rights are the right to receive distributed funds from the Osage Mineral Estate. They are primarily owned by members of the Osage tribe, but members of other tribes, corporations, and other entities also own Osage Mineral Estate head rights. 
You see, Maria's great-grandfather, Peter Bigheart, negotiated with the United States government in 1906 concerning the oil reserves that made the Osage tribe wealthy. Sounds like there were, um, there were, tri- there were almost too many hands in the cookie jar. And, you know, with the, uh, oh, with the all U.S. The people government different trying having, to, mm-hmm, like, you know, regulate almost like divvy business. it up yeah. yeah, for the Native Americans yeah. to get, like, a portion well, of their own mm-hmm. land and it's, resources. It's like what we were talking Roof. about, what we've talked about previously, how that's not the, the, the like, uh, way of these people. They don't mm-hmm. believe in owning land. The yeah. land isn't yours to own. You exist on the land and yeah. you take care of the land. But it's not our place to divvy up the land that they already are living on but yeah. because they don't quote unquote own it the u.s government is like oh let me get my hand in there <laughs> yeah you can't just charge people for stuff they were already doing and using. It's so weird. that's I, like you're you're <laughs> weird so weird during the height of the oil boom in 1923 the osage reservation was given 400 million dollars to compensate for the oil which provided a good source of income for the people living on the land When oil was discovered on the reservation, the Osage became the wealthiest Native American tribe in the country. This meant her family had money, which truthfully, I find it very interesting that um, I don't really remember learning a whole lot about the Osage tribe or, or, you know, I feel like I learned a lot about the Navajos and the Cherokee and... But I don't, I don't really, I feel like maybe because they were a wealthier tribe in school, we're like, not told about them. I, I definitely didn't learn uh, anything about this, which is unfortunate. Yeah, but, you know. Kind of crazy. Hopefully that changes soon. Mm-hmm. Or now. <laughs> in the early 1920s, the Tall Chief Mansion was designed and built, and let me tell you about this beauty. Please. Ten rooms, terracotta brick, on a hill, looking over Fairfax, Oklahoma. Alexander Tallchief, Maria's father, also owned a pool hall and a theater called the Tallchief Theater. I want ten rooms. I want ten rooms. Will you buy me a pool hall? I'll buy... I used to work in a pool hall. I I used to play at a pool hall. (laughs) I've played pool at a pool hall. I own a pool stick. I swam in a pool. (laughs) I swam in a pool. I have walked in a hall. Darn it. (laughs) She got me. Eliza Bigheart would take Maria and Marjorie to watch the incredible ceremonial tribal dances. And by the age of three, Maria was dancing. She took a liking to the powwow dances and the beautiful music early on. Maria would become one of five dancers of Indian heritage, all born around the same time, that came to be known as the Oklahoma Indian Ballerinas. The other included her younger sister, Marjorie, Rosella Hightower, Mosselin Larking, and Yvonne Choteau. So how did all this come to be? Maria began taking ballet and piano lessons at the age of three and performed at civic organizations in Osage County. How old were you when you started dancing? Three. I was also three. Yeah. I, uh... Damn, me too. <laughs> all three of us. We're all connected. <laughs> No, that's really cool. Yeah, I started dancing at three. Apparently, I um, when my parents took me to a uh, to Disney World. I don't remember this trip. Um, 
I was dancing and mimicking the the um, parade characters, all the dancers, and they were like, put her in ballet. And I was like, the okay. Rest is history. And okay. the rest is history. <laughs> the rest is history. And oh, yeah, the there rest is history. <laughs> well, for Maria, by the age of eight, she and her sister had exhausted the training resources available to them in Oklahoma. So the family moved to Beverly Hills, California in 1933. I think it's pretty incredible that her parents, that their parents were like, these, our daughters are artistically inclined and um, let's do what we can for them. So they just moved to the other side of the Those country. Are <laughs> Those are amazing parents. <laughs> The two were artistically inclined, and their parents wanted them to continue studying both ballet and piano. But when given the choice, she chose ballet over piano, which also sounds like me. (laughs) (laughs) I do wish I had taken piano more seriously. I can just chord, you know, but it's fine. It's fine. We're fine. I'm not mad. No. (laughs) Maria was a dedicated dancer, and by age 12, she was working with Ernest Belcher, David Leichen, and Madame Bronislava. <laughs> Bronislava? It's hard to say. Nijinska. Three prominent members of the arts in California. David Leichen was a student of the famous Anna Pavlova. Ernest Belcher was a noted Hollywood ballet coach who taught the likes of Shirley Temple. And Madame Nijinska was the sister of well-known Russian dancer Vasily Nijinsky. It's almost hard to um, try to remember that Shirley Temple was more than just a drink. <laughs> He's more than just like the name of a drink, you know, like a person. Oh, really? Because it's been like, like I, I don't know. Like, I guess maybe you didn't grow up with her the way I did. I. No, not I... personally. No, no, we only saw each other in passing. <laughs> No, I was so, it's so funny because I, I have the opposite. If someone asks for like a Shirley Temple, I have to like think really hard about what they're actually asking well, for. Well, right. Like I definitely know it's like the person, but then like to like, if someone was at, it would, it would ask me like, oh, Shirley Temple's history. I'm like, oh, she was big enough where she got a trick named after her. I know she was popular in the entertainment industry. Oh, she was so cute. And then I refer to you. <laughs> In 1940, Vasily Nijinsky cast Maria and Marjorie in a ballet at, at the Hollywood Bowl that Nijinska had choreographed. It's kind of weird to me that with Russian last names, dip, their last names change depending on their gender. Nijinska and Nijinsky. Mm. Um, yeah, it's very interesting to me that they, that they add um, qualifications to a last name. It's, it's it's cool. But at this time, Maria was just 15 years old. Maria took her chances at age 17 in 1942 and moved to New York City to pursue ballet full-time. During the early 40s, Maria auditioned for the Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo, a premier Russian touring ballet company based out of New York City, while she was still in high school. How do you get the connections to do that? To audition? I mean, like... They just I mean, hold auditions. I mean, like, back then, you know, I mean, they like... They post them, hold auditions. Yeah, but, like, posting them, like, back then, like, you know, in, in school, oh, like, no, how do you... Probably, I would assume she was dancing in, um, in the school's, like, program, and so I would assume that the teachers in there... Like, word of knew, mouth. ...knew that it was coming. Um, probably call it newspaper postings, I would assume... I mean, how do you audition for Broadway during that time? 
I think it was through like open that is, call. That, that's yeah. another great question. You know, that's definitely <laughs> stuff to like, you yeah, know, for another so episode. Yeah, so interesting. The company knew that they just had to have her on their cast list, so they asked her to tour with them when she graduated from high school. And in 1942, she made her debut with them in Canada as an understudy and made $40 a week. What is that inflation-wise? $40 during the 40s. It equals to not enough money for a person, (laughs) even back then. Yeah. (laughs) Darn. Yeah. (laughs) It was during this time that she changed her name to the name we've been referring to her as throughout the episode. Okay. That took... You guys are going to get the edited version, but that took me way too many times to say that. (laughs) There were already numerous Elizabeths and Marie's in the company, and Maria wanted to embrace her Native American heritage, even though her Russian contemporaries told her that it would be easy to transform Tall Chief into Tall Sheva. So, I... Uh, it was really popular at this time for American dancers um, to change their names to Russian um, influence names just because, you know, America wasn't known for ballet at this time. Really, it was if you're not Russian, then what are you trying to do being a ballerina? And she was like, no, um, I know who I am. I know where I come from. And I'm proud of that. Yeah, it's it's it sucks that they were like you could just conform. Yeah, and, you could just change it to Charles Shiva, and she's like, that we do, all have. she's like, do Why? I look Russian though? Why? Yeah, because like, <laughs> I'm really not. Yeah. <laughs> the other members of Ballet Russe, unsurprisingly, made it difficult for Maria. She was met with coldness and hesitation, and you know we fear what we do not know or understand, and they refused to acknowledge the greatness that lay within her. I think they were just jealous. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think they, they were, were jealous because sh- she was so good she and was, so beautiful and, and getting so all the nice. attention, you yeah. know. And mm-hmm. they were just upset that they were n- clearly not as you mm-hmm. know skilled and mm-hmm. capable. Mm-hmm. Maria began working with famed choreographer George Balanchine in 1944 when he took over as ballet master. He saw her perform for the first time in the operetta Song of Norway, where she danced in the core and understudied Alexandra Danilova. And he saw her star quality right away, like picked her out of the court of ballet. He was like, her, her. I've got to, I've got to, she has to be the lead. Her. (laughs) (laughs) She performed many of his ballets, including the title role in Stravinsky's Firebird, my second favorite ballet. I, I could go on a whole Firebird rant, but I won't. Another um, episode. She was Odette Odile in Swan Lake, Eurydice in Orpheus, Dances Concertinus, I'm so sorry about these pronunciations, guys, Night Shadow, and The Sugar Plum Fairy in The Nutcracker. Her performance in The Nutcracker is credited with helping to propel that ballet into massive popularity in the United States. Critic Walter Terry said this of Maria's performance of Balanchine's now iconic version of the Nutcracker at City Center. Maria Tallchief as the Sugar Plum Fairy is herself a creature of magic, dancing the seemingly impossible with effortless beauty of movement, electrifying us with her brilliance, enchanting us with her radiance of being. Does she have any equals anywhere, inside or outside of fairyland? 
while watching her in the Nutcracker, one is opted to doubt it. Who gets reviews like that from a critic? I, I honestly, well, and I got a little emotional in, reading that. <laughs> also, in comparison to some of the last episodes we've done, where mm. the critics have just been a bunch of turds. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like, it's turns really being like, nice. women are dumb. They yeah, don't know like, it's just nice to kind of have this <laughs> Total opposite, change. yes. Um, yeah, I mean, she's deserving of it, though. Oh, my gosh. I remember have watching you... The Nutcracker when I was um, in, like, I think it was, like, a, it was like in Central Park when I was, mm. must have been in, like, public school before middle school. Elementary mm. school, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really nice, and then. Um, you know, Swan Lake is obviously something that we mm-hmm. all have uh, seen. Well, or... uh, we went to the um, premiere of Whipped Cream for mm-hmm. American Ballet Theater. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. It was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Maria and George Balanchine ended up getting married in 1946, but the marriage ended after just five years in 1951. Marjorie joined Ballet Russe in 1946, but left in 1947, signing a contract with the Grand Ballet du Marquis de Cuevas in France. Oh. And danced there for nearly a decade. Wow. Right? Okay. The two, like, these sisters literally taking the world she by just storm. took off, yeah. Mm-hmm. And moving on up in the ballet world, Maria left Ballet Russe and became the first American and Native American prima ballerina of the New York City Ballet in 1948. Prima ballerina is... The highest of all possible you could ever imagine to want to be. And she also became the first American to dance with the Paris Opera Ballet. Now, I don't know if you know what this means, but like literally there had not been an American prima ballerina up to this point. So Um, not only is it an American, it is a Native American woman. Yeah, I mean, that's that's American as it gets. That was all honesty. That that is is the only true American. That is the American story. Um, that's incredible, though. Oh, my gosh. That yeah. is that is very impressive. Basically, basically, so there's um, there's principal ballerinas who are, like, the lead ballerinas in the company, but mm-hmm. you only achieve, like, prima ballerina status when you are, uh, like, worldwide accepted as the best. Well, unanimous across the board, Just across, the, the, across the globe. Yes. Dang. Yes. Yes. That's, that's a high honor. Mm-hmm. A year after her marriage with Balanchine ended, she appeared on the silver screen alongside Esther Williams and Annette Kellerman as Anna Pavlova in the MGM movie Million Dollar Mermaid. Oh, MGM. Come back next week for some rants about, uh, for for some rants about MGM Studios. Oh, oh. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We're not going to get into MGM, Mm, but we will next week. That lion. Oh, you're ready for it. I love that lion in the introduction. (laughs) You know, the one that growls. (laughs) Tiger, maybe. Maria married Elmorza Natirbuf in 1952, and whoops, they were divorced two years later in 1954. Oh. Maria still had a good relationship with Ballet Russe and would periodically dance with the company during the mid uh, during the mid 1950s in guest appearances, and she was the highest paid ballerina at this time. I love that she was the highest paid and still doing like and just doing cameo spots. Yeah. 
She's and like, oh, you quick pop up. Find me on Cameo, and uh, <laughs> you know, she's like, <laughs> she's the person in the credits. You know, when they list all the um, actors and actresses, and then they have the and, and mm-hmm. then the last person. She's yeah. the and in the yeah. ballerina. In the, yeah, in the ballerina production. she's like, um, she's like, I have the most credibility and credentials. <laughs> I get paid the most. You'll see and me the I'm least. The best. <laughs> You will see me the least, but I get I, I get paid the most. That's, that's why I'm at the end, and I get an and I get a whole I get two whole lines. In 1953, Maria was awarded the Woman of the Year by President Dwight Eisenhower. Oh. Which, like, puts things more into, like, time perspective for me. Sometimes I get lost in when we are, and yep. then when a mention of a president, yeah. I'm like, oh. Eisenhower. The Oklahoma legislature celebrated her achievements by declaring June 29th, 1953 as Maria Tall Chief Day. Nice. I like that. And the Osage tribe named her Princess Watetomba. Watetomba, mm, right? Yeah. Mm. Watetomba, or Woman of Two Standards. In 1956, Maria married Henry Passion, a Chicago construction executive, and together the two had a daughter named Elise in 1953. She took some time away from ballet to be with her family, but returned for several more productions before her retirement in 1965. Whoa. Yes, queen. That actually wasn't super common at the time. It it would happen. For women, uh... Yeah, to have a kid and then come back. But now, I am so happy to say that it is very common practice. Good. Yeah. Yeah, Just be natural. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Well, because she just couldn't be stopped from making her story, in 1960, she performed at the Bolshoi Theater in Moscow, making her the first American to do so. Damn, I like that you slipped that in there. (laughs) Um, But that is cool. Yeah. Maria said, A ballerina takes steps given to her and makes them her own. Each individual brings something different to the same role. As an American, I believe in great individualism. That's the way I was brought up. Oh. I mean, you know that that's that should be the standard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's mm-hmm. that should be the bar for humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love it. Mm. On November 29th, nineteen sixty-two, Maria performed at the National Culture Center, now known as the Kennedy Center, for Dwight Eisenhower and JFK during an American Pageant of the Arts. This event was to help raise funds for the center that was being built under the Kennedy administration. She became one of only five artists to receive the Kennedy Center honors for their artistic contributions in the United States. Goodness. I know. Her daughter Esther said, My mother was a ballet legend who was proud of her Osage heritage. Her dynamic presence lit up the room. It's easy to see why she just took the hearts of everyone who saw her perform because she truly exhibits what an artist is and fully bringing everything she has to every single piece that she is being given. Just beautiful. Just genuine. Yes. Authentic. Mm -hmm. Just vulnerable and authentic. After her retirement, she moved to Chicago. While she may not have been dancing anymore, she was active in the dance community. 
In the 1970s, she formed a school connected with the Chicago Lyric Opera, and when the school fell victim to budget cuts, save the arts, she founded her own ballet company, the Chicago City Ballet, in 1981. It was a ballet school and a full dance company. She served here as the artistic director of the company through 1987 with Paul Mejia, and her sister, Marjorie, served as the school's director. I like that they were working she together. Came back. And <sighs> I think it's important that people give back and make sure that those do- those doors are open for mm-hmm. um, everyone else the next who's generation. still trying to get mm-hmm. through. Absolutely. Yeah. In 1996, Maria was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. In 1999, Tall Chief was awarded the National Medal of Arts. This is the highest award given to artists and arts patrons by the U.S. government, which honors individuals who, quote, are deserving of special recognition by reason of their outstanding contributions to the excellence, growth, support, and availability of the arts in the United States. Mm. Mm-hmm. No, like, if anyone deserves that award, uh, she does. Yeah. <laughs> in a 2006 interview at the Michigan City Public Library that was published on Valparaiso University's website, Maria's daughter spoke about the influence her mother had on her career. Elise, now a renowned poet, said her mother inspired her because she devoted herself to her craft and did not allow anything to get in her way. Elise said her mother wanted her to become a lawyer, which was something she never entertained, and that it was her father who supported her dreams of becoming a writer. She said, I grew up knowing that a woman should have a career, and fortunately, I realized my calling at a young age. I think I I promise you the reason she doesn't want Maria didn't want her daughter to go into the arts is because nobody in their in the arts really wants their kid to go into the arts. It's hard. It it, it is it is tough because <laughs> parents know? don't want to see their kids struggle in the arts. Yeah. Is and it is everything. You know, it's yeah. it's it's absolutely a struggle. And even you though are she's this wildly successful ballerina, she's like. Uh, maybe be a lawyer. Go She's be, like, yeah. no, I'm gonna be a writer. Okay, Thanks, do something Mom. that people might think might be more practical. And, and it's like, <laughs> no, I want to work in the arts still. Yeah. <laughs> the Five Moon Sculpture in Tulsa, Oklahoma, was unveiled on November fourteenth, two thousand and seven. It was made to honor the five Native American ballerinas from Oklahoma, including Maria and Marjorie. On April eleventh. 2013. Maria Talchief died in a hospital in Chicago, Illinois. The cause of death stemmed from complications following a broken hip suffered in December of 2012. Whoa. Yeah, that's a bummer. I I don't want to know the details, so I didn't look up further details. Broken hip just sounds a broken hip just sounds um, awful. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. Ugh. Of all the bones, of all the bones. Not the hip. Because you can't sit comfortably. You can't lay down. Yeah. You can't stand comfortably. Like, what, you're, you're, you're just... Uh, nope. Nope. Maria is credited as a trailblazer for being a prominent Native American in a ballet scene dominated by Russians and Europeans. She wasn't just a trailblazer for Native American dancers. She was a trailblazer for ballet. 
So much of her passion on the stage helped to transform the art and bring it into the modern age. Elise said, My mother transformed the world of ballet as America's first prima ballerina. Thanks to her own mother's vision and determination, she and her sister Marjorie studied and excelled at ballet from an early age. The young girl from Fairfax, Oklahoma, lit up the stages around the world with her brilliant artistry. My mother's discipline and genius allowed her to embody the American dream. Oof. No wonder also, like, she definitely has a way with words, so of course. Yeah, that she ended up becoming she a writer. She evokes all of these emotions in me as I read that. It's so great that she had that kind of role model, you know, her mom, like, oh as, that, as that person to help represent what her future could look like. Mm. I think, mm. you know, young women need mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. absolutely you can't you can't see it unless like yeah it's hard it's hard to see it for yourself if you're not seeing it for someone else mm-hmm. as well like if you're if it's hard to be the first it's hard to be the first one and so you know uh, to to see people just power through all of these things and and it just makes i mean looking at uh kamala harris's you know, and all these little girls who are like now looking at it and saying, "This is what a vice president can look like. It yeah. can look like me. It can they they can look just like me," and it's so important. And oh my gosh, oh she's just yeah. And her, I mean, of course, her mom had you know her with her legacy and her dance, mom and her grandmother. You know, yeah. it's it's about the Native American um, Native American women. You mm-hmm. know, it's about women. It's about women of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mm-hmm. being able to see that. There are those doors open, and it just takes one person, one mm-hmm. woman. To hold it open. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To make sure you hold it open, mm-hmm. right? Not just open it. Yeah. Twice she received the Washington Press Woman of the Year Award and the annual Dance Magazine Award. In 2018, five years after her death, she was brought into the Native American Hall of Fame. And her home state of Oklahoma has further honored her with statues in the town of Fairfax. Mm-hmm. Absolutely deserving. Mm-hmm. Both Maria and Marjorie Tallchief have scholarships named in their honor at the University of Oklahoma School of Dance, which is one of the nation's top dance schools at the university level. Did you know that? No. Yeah. It is like, it's basically like Juilliard. Oklahoma. Whoa. It's a huge... Well, uh, well, there's also the North Carolina School of the Arts, but, like, seriously, OU's dance program is one of the only... Um, they have a ballet focus that you can do, and it's one of the only universities that offers, like, a full ballet focus major. It's very interesting. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to leave you guys with this quote. New ideas are essential but we must try to retain respect for the art of ballet. And that means the artist too, or else it is no longer an art form. Yes. Respect I mean, for the artist always, but she live. I live for that. That's yes. that needs yes. to be the norm. <laughs> yeah. They're like the story definitely needs to be, I mean, we're doing it now, but they this kind of story definitely needs to be told. Mm. And, and her missions, to keep ballet up in the forefront, to create a new school when the one she was working at was no longer, you know, um, viable. Like, I I just, I love her. I just love her. (laughs) Yeah. 
she definitely um, is a good form of representation when it comes to not only women of color, but women and mm. for um, individuals who, you know, don't have a lane paved before them, mm. but who are interested in making sure that one is paved after. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah, mm-hmm. I liked that. Thank you. Well, thank you, historians, for tuning in again. Come back this Friday for an interview with actor, writer, and producer Alexandra Boylan. In this interview, she talks about spreading love and kindness through her project. Her most recent release, Switched, is a star-studded film that she describes as Mean Girls meets Freaky Friday. Super fun. She talks about the detours she took throughout her career, working as a companion to the elderly, being one of them, and so much more. So that's a fun one. It sounds exciting. I'll I'll definitely tune in. Oh, you'll tune in? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Thanks. That's nice. (laughs) Subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, tell your neighbors. You know, help us grow. Let everyone know. Um, you know, if you have any pets, let them know. Yeah, tell the pets. You know, they're going to be sitting around. Buy the merch. So, you know. Buy the merch. Yeah, buy the merch. <laughs> and uh, while you're there, buy the merch. <laughs> See what's up. <laughs> Until Friday, be safe, stay healthy, and show the world what you're made of. Wear a mask. Bye. Thank you.